Our Old Testament lesson goes way back to the very beginning. To chapter 18, beginning in the 20th verse. And then the Lord said, How great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, and how great their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned there and went toward Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fate as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom, 50 righteous in the city. I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, Let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I, who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 45 righteous, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? He said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again he spoke to him, suppose 40 are found, are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak out just once more. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. The word of God for the people of God. God. You know, there are certain shows, I'm sure you have them, certain movies that you have set through when people are speaking, maybe certain news conferences. When you just cringe when they speak, you're saying, don't. Don't, don't say it. Don't do that. We all sit there like that. And that's kind of how I felt the first couple of times I studied this passage. Abraham's behavior is shocking to me. And I certainly didn't approve of it. I was uncomfortable with it. I wanted to say to Abraham, stop. Stop it. Don't do it. That is not the way you speak to God. I was so offended. But Abraham's behavior here in Genesis says a whole lot more about my own insecurities than it does about his behavior 
or even God's reaction. I treated this scripture the same way I treat those uncomfortable moments in a movie or a sitcom that just make me cringe. They make me uncomfortable. And when that happens, it is human nature to ignore the passage altogether. Let's just skip over that passage because it's not one of my favorites. It's not a feel good. So let's not read it. Or we just dismiss it because it makes us uncomfortable. But what we are really called to do is to deal with it. To allow the truth of that passage with the power of God through his Holy Spirit to change us. So we can't just read the feel good. We have to read that which makes us squirm just a little bit. So what is it that made me so uncomfortable about Abraham praying to God in Genesis 18? What made you uncomfortable? Did it make you uncomfortable? Could it be that I thought Abraham was doing it all wrong? You know, look, I, I'm a pastor, right? I know what prayers are supposed to be. I've studied it in school. I have it in my book of worship. I can turn to the book of worship and find these great prayers. We can look for them in our hymnal. I know what prayers are supposed to be like. Oh, they're supposed to be very proper, very dignified, very respectful. So when I'm sitting here reading Abraham's prayer, I'm thinking he is taking far too much liberty with God. He is telling God what to do. Can you imagine? I'm going to tell God what to do? And the worst thing in his prayer to me is that it sounds like he's haggling with God. He's bargaining with God. And it made me embarrassed for Abraham. I just did not feel comfortable with it. I still don't. Abraham, if you know your Bible, just the chapter before, had been given the covenant by God. He was given the covenant of the promised lands, the nations, the kings, the many, many, many descendants. And just prior to Abraham's prayer, if you read up a little bit back, the heavenly visitors had come to him and said that his barren wife for so many years, Sarah, was going to bear a child. Maybe all of that goodness and promises made him feel like he was just on a little bit higher ground than the rest of us. Maybe he thought he, thought he was safer to speak to God however he wanted. So when the visitors hid towards Sodom, it was God who decided to let Abraham in on what he was thinking. And God explains to him that things in Sodom 
do not sound very good. We all know what was going on. And he's going to go down there and check it out. But the funny thing about all of this is, of course, God already knows everything. So why did he do that? Was it a way he got into a dialogue, initiated a dialogue, a conversation with Abraham? Once again, if you know your Bible, back in chapter 14, Abraham and his men had already rescued these people in Sodom. He had taken their possessions and helped them. He rescued them from slavery by the neighboring kings. He fought for it. He had already paid that price. In fact, he had freed his nephew Lot, who was among those people. So there was a certain amount of care, connection, that Abraham already had for those people. So Abraham, once again, is going to rescue the people. He's going to intercede on their behalf. He prays for them to God. He prays about them to God. Listen to the opening line. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Abraham's pretty distraught over this. He's appealing to God's justice. He just can't wrap his head around that surely the wicked should be punished, yes. But why would God cause suffering to the righteous? And he continues, suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. Put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? What he's simply saying to God is, you know, God, I'm just surprised by you. I'm surprised by your actions. I'm shocked. And it's not right. I don't think you're like that. Let them off the hook. Let them off the hook if there's at least 50 in the bunch. This is when, if you're sitting there, and I always give people voices when I read the Bible. This is when James Earl Jones steps in. Right? And you hear that voice, that deep voice. Maybe it's the same person that was speaking to Moses in the Ten Commandments. But you hear that voice when he starts out, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then the bargaining begins. It sounds almost like an auction. Do I hear 45? Do I hear 40? What about 30? Can you give me 20? What about 10? And Abraham says, sold. I'll take 10. He is bargaining with our Lord. There is a well-known Jewish commentator when you study this that notes about this passage that Abraham was considered much more righteous than Noah. Because Noah did not intercede for the people on earth. He did not pray for them. 
but Abraham stepped in. You know, that's a sermon in itself right there, isn't it? <clears throat> Pray for others even if you don't like them. We could go off on that. But Abraham finally lets up and agrees with God at ten. They reach a bargain. And during all of that, there is absolutely no sign that God gets mad or loses his patience with the haggling. We've all been there. It's like a child, your own child. Do you remember when your child used to tell them to do something and then they were going to bargain back with you? Nothing made me more upset. You know, you didn't want to say what your parents said. Just do it because I said so. I didn't like my children sassing me back, trying to bargain. I still don't. They're 42 and 36. But things are a little different. It made me irritated that Abraham would sass God. But our God does not get impatient, and he does not get irritated. So I've long misunderstood God and how he reacted to Abraham. I wanted him to react as I react as a parent. I wanted him to put him in the corner for talking back. But it is God's love, God's patience for us that I misunderstood. He doesn't mind our pestering. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying in Luke when we read and said the Lord's Prayer. You know, we always have a tendency to just sort of stop there at the Lord's Prayer, don't we? We just read that scripture and go, okay, we have instructions on how to pray. But read down a little further. There's always so much more in the verses above and the verses below. He says, which of you has a friend who will come out at midnight? And say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. People have arrived on this journey, and I have nothing to set. And his answer was, do not bother me. The door is shut, and my children are already asleep in bed. Now let's put this in context. If your children are asleep in bed and your doorbell rings, how happy are you? You're not. Some of us, frankly, would not even open the door because we would be so afraid. But his friend continues his persistence. And that's the under and why his friend did this. It's it's referred to as impudence, but the great translation is shamelessness. Persistence. Or in the Jewish text it would be chutzpah. He was going to continue so he would be answered. Jesus says that even a man in bed with his family at midnight with his door locked will get up 
to give bread to a neighbor knocking because the neighbor was that annoying. So trust me, when you look at it through the lens of knowing your God and hearing Jesus, you can trust that God will answer your prayers. Jesus continued, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, and everyone who seeks, and everyone who knocks, they will receive, find, and the door will be opened. So the unmistakable message here is do not stop asking. Do not stop seeking. Do not stop knocking. Jesus made another comparison when he said, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, he will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Once again, I was slightly offended. I didn't really like being told I was evil because I worked very hard not to be. And I was good to my children. How could I be evil? I took exception to that comparison. But it's a relative thing. In comparison to our infinitely loving Heavenly Father, who is the author and image of perfection, the best of us is evil, selfish, and maybe completely worthless if we're going to compare ourselves to our God. The point is, if we are so far surpassed in goodness, love, patience, and kindness by our Heavenly Father, who knows how to give every good thing to those who ask, because we're told that. How much more does God wish to give us these good things? How many as parents endured long and ridiculous prices and lines to buy that one toy that their child just had to have? I do remember that. I, I had the flu. This was years before wearing a mask was popular. It was the Christmas before Luke was going to graduate, my youngest child, and he had um, his first lab boots. We sometimes called Buttercup because she was just kind of fat. And I thought, well, this will be delightful. I'll be doing two things at once. I'll be donating to the Humane Society and doing something really cute for Luke. So you could go down to PetSmart in Gulfport and have um, your pet's picture made with Santa Claus. And as sick as I was, I put on a mask, because that comes from the hospital background, right? So I put on my mask. I had boots. This Santa Claus was two hours late. Quite frankly, I think he had been 
nipping at the bottle just a little bit. <laughs> I mean, he was just a pitiful Santa Claus. But I stood there and did it. And then they gave me the little Polaroid. And then I went the next day and got a cute little frame and I wrapped it up. And I just thought it was, it was the worst picture ever. But my son still has it. He took it to college with him. We will do what it takes to give to our children. God will do what he needs for us because he loves us more than we can even love our own children. Adam was correct spiritually. It is I who was wrong. Me. Perhaps some of you and our reluctance and our false pride and our wrong attitude toward God. We fail to come with Him with the smallest of our problems. I can handle this. We fail to express to Him we're, we're in real emotional distress. I can handle this. We tire of prayers that we don't seem to be able to get an answer. So we just stop. Or worse yet, it's not answered exactly how we had set the blueprint out for God to do it. But that's not what today's lesson teaches us. For we can never be sure what the outcome of our prayers will be. But what we do know for certain is that we are to take all of our cares and our concerns to God. We are to trust the words of His Son Jesus when He said, God cares for each of you more than the most loving parent. Our God does want the very best for each of us. And our prayer is just a conversation. Conversations that take very many styles, very many types. We have lots of different conversations with people around us. And we have lots of different conversations with God. Sometimes we don't feel like we have the proper right, beautiful words, elegant way to pray. And that if we don't, it just doesn't count. But that's so not true. Your God wants to hear from you in any fashion. He doesn't say, oh, Pam, Sounds so much better than Terry. Sorry. That's not... <laughs> Terry said that's true. <laughs> but that's not what... He doesn't compare our prayers. What he does know is if you're having a conversation with him. So go, seek, ask, knock, be persistent. God wants to be pestered by us. He's waiting on us. So go 
and have a conversation with your God. Amen and amen. amen.